It's time for your local weekly analysis, Slow County Public Policy and the Law, with your host, Stu Jenkins. The Union Forever, boys down with the traitor, up with the star, while we rally around the flag, boys, rally once again, shouting the battle cry of Welcome to Slow County Public Policy and the Law on KNews 98.5 on your FM dial. I'm your host, Stu Jenkins. As a lawyer, I help folks protect their families and real estate in their estate plans. Since 1978, I have tried several thousand Slow County court cases, and it has been my privilege to strike down unconstitutional election laws, city ordinances, and I've been honored to repeatedly serve as Superior Court Special Master. On this show, you will hear from officeholders, lawyers, and activists that are shaping your world. Last week, I spoke with Paso Robles Fire Chief Jonathan Stornetta about Paso's work with the California State Fire Marshal to reduce insurance costs and preserve safety in Paso Robles. And lawyer Dan Knight came on and talked about remedies in building contractor cases for construction defects. If you missed last week's show, log on to the podcast of those interviews at knews985.com. Today, I am very pleased to chat in our first hour with Jerry Flanagan, Litigation Director for Consumer Watchdog. Jerry Flanagan will tell us about Consumer Watchdog's Government Transparency Act initiative that they are passing to get signatures to put on the November 5th, 2024 ballot. If adopted by voters, the Government Transparency Act will give every citizen immediate access to many city, county, district, and state records that have been hidden from public view. It is a treat to have in studio a fellow election law lawyer, Mike Nolan, who will stick around during our second hour of Slow County Public Policy and the Law to review the many other 2024 ballot measures that have already qualified for your vote next November. We will also touch on some of the other measures that may yet be put on the 2024 ballot. Jerry, it's good to have you here on the phone talking to us. Where, where are you located right now? I am currently in Los Angeles, California, believe it or not, where it is uh, a beautiful 78 degrees. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, it's not too far from that here in San Luis Obispo. Tell us a little bit about the Consumer Watchdog. I was reading the wonderful biography. It looks like it's more than a quarter century of work for the public that the organization has provided. That's right, yeah. Uh, My colleague, Harvey Rosenfield, a lawyer, uh, started uh, the group as a nonprofit way back in 1987 as a lead-up to passing Prop 103, which is the auto insurance regulation law that requires auto insurance companies to get approval before raising the rates, applies to home as well, and earthquake. And it has the honor of having the most money ever spending it in the initiative realm, about 80 Three million dollars, and it won. And yeah, so and well, and I, it had a lot of opposition from the insurance industry, didn't oh it? Oh my gosh, yeah, they they didn't like it. They threatened to pull out, blah blah blah. And then you know, years later, California has at the slowest rate of growth for auto insurance rates anywhere in the country. And auto insurers here are still some of the most profitable because, as we're going to talk about with the Government Transparency Act, 
just because you make something efficient doesn't mean it's not going to work well. And, of course, the insurance companies were threatening to pull out, et cetera. So since that time, uh, the organization Consumer Watchdog has really has branched out to a wide range of areas that really affect the consumer's pocketbook, both directly you know, through health insurance and anything you might be ripped off in the marketplace, but also similar to the work that you uh, folks do, which is that you know, government corruption, lack of transparency has a dramatic impact not only on how our you know, our, how well we live our lives, but also just on every aspect of the marketplace as well. So we do a lot of that kind of work. And then I do personally both you know, good government work where, where they're on government corruption issues, obviously Public Records Act, which is the major subject of the initiative, but also I do health care and health care civil rights. I took a case up to the uh, U.S. Supreme Court in CVS a couple of years back on behalf of some HIV patients. And one by technical knockout. We had beat them at the Ninth Circuit, and CBS appealed to the uh, Supreme Court, and we were two weeks away from oral argument. I was all ready to argue my first case in front of the high court, and CBS called it quit, quits. So they, they, <laughs> they decided they'd let our Ninth Circuit victory uh, uh, stand. So well, Jerry, you, 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 you frightened them. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah you know what? It, that's, uh, I, I, I try to remain humble. It was, it was not so much me, but there it, there was a lot of weight on that one. Like all the issues, like this oh, yeah. the issue we're talking about today, government transparency, and there are a lot of groups telling CVS, saying, you know, going forward on something like this is going to have a lot of unintended consequences for disability rights law. Just in the same way folks that oppose, you know, government transparency don't really understand just how much impact that's going to have on the broader community. So, long story short, the group does a lot of work across the board. We're small and but mighty and a lot of fun. I've been there now, geez, I've been at that organization for about 22 years and then uh, going back to, to the early 90s doing the work. Well, that's got to be gratifying, uh, the, the work that you've been doing. And I they, feel like I kind of a trench warfare. You know, it's, it's like, you know, it's hand-to-hand combat against oh, yeah. some of the biggest interests that you can imagine. And there are definitely moments of gratifying you know we can take a breath and go and say oh look what we've accomplished but well, it's a lot of work <laughs> you're, you know this in the government uh, transparency act you're taking on some very powerful people uh who have uh, some some of whom certainly not all have been uh, you know hiding their uh, their problems i i think the uh, down buried in the act uh is a provision that requires, I noticed, that if there's a, a complaint made or a, a viable investigation of a legislator for yeah. sexual abuse of their staff or for um, corruption or conflict of interest or taking bribes, that all of a sudden uh, all of the records concerning that investigation are going to become public. And uh, there's, there's going to be some people who uh, really bridle at that. Well, I, I'd be, I look forward to having some lawmakers, elected Are, officials, campaigning against uh, yes. transparency. I mean, right, you, know, <laughs> you know, we can't, you know, we'll see what happens. They, you know, it's a long initiative because our group has been working on Public Records Act and Legislative Open Records Act litigations and, and requests for some time. We literally just walked right through the statutes and fixed everything that was broken. So I think what you're talking, that, that provision is like section five or six or seven right up top. And if I may, I mean, what's really shocking, there's so many shocking things going on in transparency and election law, but one of the kind of fun stories, I think, is that unlike other states where the Public Records Act applies to the legislature, the legislature in the 60s wrote the Public Records Act, and they put all this flowery language in it about believing, but they did not, about 
the importance of access to government records for the protection of our democracy. But they didn't really want their own records to be scrutinized. So the legislature exempted itself from the Public Records Act and wrote something else called the Legislative Open Records Act, which nominally takes its place, but it has many, many holes in it. Many holes. And one of the many holes it has in it is that it exempted from the public view all records of malfeasance and misconduct of legislators. It just was is not considered a public record, period. You can't even request it. So we changed that among many other things. If I may, in looking through this, it's probably the best written initiative I've ever seen. Well, that, uh, uh, that is very gratifying. They said, we're going to work in the trenches, so we don't often have people say nice things. Usually it's the other side saying nasty things. So I really appreciate that. We did spend, we take, they take this process extremely seriously. We're very serious lawyers. We try to have a good time while we're doing it, but we spent a lot of time in the crafting of it. And we had a kind of working group, a kitchen cabinet of some of the state's leading litigators and policy people in the area also just sort of looking for the unintended consequences, looking for the efficiency measures. How do we make it work better? So it was a very long drafting process. I'm sure. Well, Jerry, one of the things that caught my eye right up front were some of the provisions about assembly members and state Senate representatives being required to post on their websites for their office when they met with lobbyists, when they uh, attended fundraisers. Um, what, what was the purpose of that? Well, we have, so um, you, you might have spoken to Robert Stern, also knows as Bob Stern, who, you know, years ago uh, yeah. in the post-Watergate era wrote the Political Reform Act, which is another, this is like, you get these crazy acronyms, right? PRA for Political Reform Act. But when I say PR, PRA, I mean Public Records Act. But yeah. the Political Reform Act put on the map some really critically important um, disclosures about lobbying and legislative uh, 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 lobbyists who are hired uh, have to report certain information to the Secretary of State. But what we have found, and also journalists, is that what it's very difficult, as great as, as important as the Political Reform Act and sort of a, a critical role, what we are trying to address is not necessarily the funding, met, the, the amount of money spent for lobbyists, but to provide the public and, and policymakers uh, and members of the media as well, including used to, an easy visual representations where you can see when the lobbying meeting occurred and when the vote occurred. Because what and when the you know when was that junket uh, to Hawaii that was paid for by the company that had the vote the next day as well. Yeah. Because what's very difficult in terms of the, what we're trying to get at here is government transparency writ large. And we're, we're amending both the Legislative Open Records Act and the Public Records Act to allow the public and journalists and gadflies, people that are working on behalf of the public, the ability to get a better sense of what's happening in our government so that they can then take that information uh, uh, to the public and inform the public in a better way or public members of the public can get that information directly. So, and also we've done this, you know, try to make it efficient. One of the things that um, is, is interesting about open records is that there's been a lot of national studies that show not only is our open records important for our democracy, because it turns out what you don't know can hurt you, it's also much more cost-effective, it turns out, to provide records to the public rather than the government, like it usually does, fight over uh, records requests that are completely voluntary, that they could actually provide the records if they so choose. So one of the things that happens is that there's a lot of requests for this information 
and ra- and each time these the lawmakers have to recreate the wheel with taxpayer dollars to produce records. So in a number of places in the, the in the act, we've not only made it easier to request records, but also just say, look, there's a number of things that are requested over and over again. Let's just post those on the internet. There'll be one startup cost to get the website working correctly, but you're going to save a bunch of money over time because we're not continuously going through the administrative process of producing the same records to each new requester that comes to the door, which is how it currently is. Completely bullying, de- delays the records, but also a complete waste of money. Oh, I, I know several people who work in real journalism, and uh, you know they've made requests for records, uh, and uh, they will be records that other people have requested and gotten, and somehow the local agency says, oh, no, that's going to take us 90 days to find all those. So that, I mean, if you're lucky, right? Or if you're lucky. If you're lucky. If I may, there's another, my, I just was talking to a journalist today from SFGate, uh, Alec Rimball, who has been um, doing some reporting of, in Shasta County regarding one of the county supervisors up there, mm-hmm. who's not only a supervisor, but also a, a gun store owner. And there was an ordinance that went through related to um, whether or not the county would uh, abide by state laws regarding gun ownership. The sheriff said it's kind of non-binding because it's the law is the law, and the journalist asked that the county supervisor a, a set of questions. And in response, he got a an email that said, drop dead, comma, the chair, right? So there's <laughs> kind, of a, kind of a flippant response. The journalist has the article. He had heard that then all of a sudden people, he then wrote a story about it, which you can find on SFGate, yeah. and he had heard that some local folks had been separately put in records requests to get a hold of the email, and in response, they got a response, oh, that we don't have that email. It doesn't exist. It's like, well, wait a minute. Oh, of course it's it been is. Deleted. I have it. Yeah. And, you know, it's still an ongoing issue. But either, I mean, here's an example. One of the problems is that agencies, when you make a request for these really important records, and I want to talk about also about why records are important and why we care. It's not just, sure. it's not just academic. But when you make a requ- record request, there's two big problems. One is that the best way for an agency who is under scrutiny and doesn't want to put out embarrassing records that, you know, where there's corruption going on, obviously. One of the things that happens is lack of transparency goes hand-to-hand with corruption. So let's say there's a corrupt entity that doesn't want to, an agency that doesn't want to produce records that show that it's being pressured uh, by some entity, some license to do something. What do you do? The best way not to produce a record is not to bother look for it. So in this example, in the Shasta County, either the, the agency just didn't bother to look, and this would be the most easiest email to find. We know the date, we know who it's from, we know who it went to, it exists. Or it was deleted, and um, that's another big problem. This email went in July. Do you know, get this, though we have a constitutional right to access to records, at the state level, there is no statutory, no limit, no minimum retention limit. So what happens is that really important records to demonstrate the working of government can be deleted, like emails, in as little as 60 days. And those are public records that you have a constitutional right to. At the county level, they, they theoretically have to hold on it to two, for two well, years, Jerry? but that's being violated all the time. Jerry, let me, let me remind our listeners, if they've just tuned in, they're listening to Slow County Public Policy and the Law, and we are talking with Jerry Flanagan, the litigation director of Consumer Watchdog, about the government Transparency Act that Consumer Watchdog is going to be passing out as a petition for an initiative. 
And, and Jerry, you know, I have had personal experiences with that kind of issue here in San Luis Obispo County, where I've uh, talked to a number of journalists and they want to get records. And what they've learned is that um, government counsel is telling uh, agency staffers, well, you know, delete everything within 60 days. But whatever you produce, just delete it because then we don't have to produce it. Well, that's illegal. <laughs> so that I think so, right too. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, at the county level, so there's no minimum retention standard for state agencies. However, at the county level, so county supervisors, county level, there is a two-year retention period. And, so, and your act, if it passes, will extend that to five years, won't it? And, and it would apply to everybody. And no. the reason we, you know, it could, this is, you know, it's a median point because some would say, well, why would we ever del- delete every, anything? And uh, the other side would say, well, look, some stuff, why not one year? Because, you know, some things just aren't useful and they pile up. Five years is the number that we chose because what would happen would, you know, it, it takes a bit of time for a record to be created before the public or, or, or uh, groups um, or journalists, you know, uncover that there's something happening. And then if the agency fights uh, production, it's gonna, it can take easily, as you know, Sue, two years, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, to get through the courts. Now, yeah. we're trying to make this work more efficiently so we don't get into litigation, but we, we set a five-year period as a minimum so that there's enough p- time to learn of a record and make sure we're getting it before, yeah, it gets the whole old delete. Uh, and, and um, you know, I, I was amazed when we first started this project. I found on the Secretary of State's website, and they've taken it down by now, by now but there's a, a guide that the Secretary of State used to educate state employees about the Public Records Act. And it was full of cartoons about the importance of deleting records. Yeah. And the whole idea, and, and so it's about, it's because, you know, it's the mindset is 100% counter to the idea of transparency supporting democracy. Unfortunately, it's a cultural issue with agencies, and we need to shift, and I'm trying to shift with this initiative, is that their public servants, they need to embrace transparency. <laughs> you know, the, pu- the public is not the pesky snooper. The public pays your salary, and they, by constitutional mandate, get to know what you're doing. Well, they're doing our business for us. It's the public's business. And uh, the, the, the real uh, strange thing is that uh, years ago we had archives uh, uh, that went back many, many years. And now, of course, uh, various agencies have said, well, we don't have the space. But with the computer and digital um, documents, almost everything's digitized. There's really no excuse for uh, getting rid of things even five years old. And that's the, my favorite excuse for the agencies. It just shows their, you know, desperation to to oppose just retaining records. Is the idea that you know on a going forward basis retaining electronic documents for five years now that's somehow going to be so uh, uh, burdensome that they're you know they're going to the agencies are going to collapse or as i like to, they like to say we're going to have warehouses full of documents and you know i say there's there's something a little something called a computer and um as we all know we get those little advertising emails in our e- email now space in the cloud google uh, google's drive local storage hard drives are extremely inexpensive extremely and in fact there are a lot of free options now being offered for government agencies so That's right. you know it, it's just ridiculous and well, you know also look literally the access to records is right there in article one of the california constitution right next to religion when have we ever had a conversation about oh this protecting religion is like too expensive 
Well, of course not. <laughs> you know, it, 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 you know, if the agencies, like the end of the story is, is that the agencies don't like it, they got to change the Constitution. The bottom line is that we have a constitutional right to access these, doc- these documents. And they're doing the public's business. Now, Jerry, one of the excuses that comes up frequently when uh, activists or journalists want to get public records, at least on a local level, is, oh, uh, we can't give that to you because it's part of the uh, board's or the council's deliberative process. Mm. How is it that that this uh, mm. government transparency yeah. act would change that? So this you know deliberative process could be a you know a three we do a three day retreat with everyone and have that out, but we can also do it in thirty seconds. But the the, the idea is that deliberative process, uh, like the executive privilege is that if every thought a regulator had was immediately public, the theory is that would chill the free exchange among the top policymakers inside an agency that they wouldn't communicate with each other, and that would have a bad public interest impact because nothing would get done. Well, arguably nothing gets done right now. But what one of the problems was is that that theory was expanded in a early 90s case called Times Mirror, where the L.A. Times was, was trying to get every... Uh, meeting record that the governor had had over a five-year period. And in that opinion, which was not really applicable to most of requests, they said that the deliberative process privilege, the idea that when you're deliberating over policy, would include your conversations with people outside of government. So in other words, you could have meetings with lobbyists and as a the government official and you're being pressured, you could say, well, I don't want that record public because that was part of my deliberation. Something something along the, the lines like uh, if you vote this way on that policy, we're gonna we're gonna raise ten million dollars for an yeah. opponent for you, and uh, uh, that's the kind of thing that the public would be interested in. Of course, you know, and so it's a balance. So what the age, what the the what the what the the initiative does is try to return us to the to the traditional narrow view and basically retaining these privileges, a number of them, including attorney client, retaining it but narrowing it as applies to the government. So the idea here is that if there's, the way the initiative would treat it is if there's intra-agency communications. Jerry, we're going to have to break for for news here, but we're going to come back to that particular issue about attorney-client privilege. Stay tuned, folks. 